Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. On this week's podcast, I'll have a Parting Shot Commentary on professional athletes' resistance to getting the coronavirus vaccine. Well, week one of the Saratoga horse racing season is in the books, and week two is underway. And we have Mike McGadden, the horse racing writer for the Gazette, joining us right now. And Mike, uh, welcome. And as we're taping on this Wednesday, the sun is shining outside the Party Shots podcast studio, but I understand it is pouring rain in Saratoga right now. And because of that, you're, I'm going to need you to speak up just a little bit more because it's pounding hell on the roof of my car right now. I'm sitting out in the parking lot to find a quiet spot, and uh, I overplayed my hand a little bit because the rain is just, like, pounding right now. All right. Well, let's recap the first four days of the Saratoga meet. Sure. Uh, I know you wrote a column about uh, you know, the attendance. I mean, you bet the, you thought there'd be a forty thousand there. I mean, it wasn't. I, I was kind of surprised. I thought maybe the first day there would be a you know, forty to fifty thousand people there. Well, I, you know, I was kind of just stabbing there. I was just throwing a number out there. I thought it was going to be bigger than it usually is. I think the record for opening day, which they don't keep in the media guide anymore, but I, I looked at one that was like five or six years old is like 32 or 33,000, something like that, for opening day attendance. And I thought they could do, at least do better than that. And But so they got 27,760 or whatever it was. It was twenty almost 28, which was a good crowd. And, and people were fired up and, and obviously glad to be back. It's a Thursday. The weather was good. Um, so we didn't quite hit my prediction, and that's fine. But um, sometimes you got to throw a number out there. Um, you know, they do cap attendance at 50,000 for Whitney and Travers, which is what they sort of base their 100% capacity on. And, and uh, um, so to get 40 would have, was really kind of pushing it. But I thought I kind of thought there would be some blowback from 2020 where people were um, just so salivating to get back on the grounds that it, it would have been a little more over the top than it was. But that's fine. Um you know, the attendance number, this and there, there, there was an obvious drop-off on Friday. Saturday was pretty good, and Sunday was really low because it was the weather was lousy. So, I, you know, the handle numbers, meanwhile, were very good. I think they, they had 90 mil um, just over those four days, which was a, uh, a 10 per, over 10% increase from last year. I think a lot of people thought that because there were nobody on the grounds last year that that, that would make handles suffer. But really, they they had a better betting handle over that four day stretch last year with nobody here than they did in 2019 when they did allow fans in. So, kind of shows you the trend of racing these days and probably gambling in general that um, you know a lot of people just wager remotely and and do it on their phones and they don't actually have to be there to um, you know to make their bets. Uh, so I think that's kind of an illustration of that trend that's been going on in wagering so there but so their attendance fell a little short of my crazy insane number i threw out there but the handle you know naira is very happy about that yeah. well let's take a look at let's recap the first four days of the uh, event uh, your highlights for you uh alfika winning the uh diana and wit uh, winning the sanford 
Yeah, and Alfika was like a one-two thing with her stablemate from uh, Godolphin Racing. Uh, Summer Romance came in second. They, they were separated by three-quarters of a length, which is the exact same margin that they were separated by in the Just a Game Grade 1 at Belmont. Now, they're back in Europe now. Um, but we do expect them back in the States eventually to, uh, like, maybe get one in before the Breeders' Cup billionaire turf. Um, Chad Brown had his five-year streak of winning the Diana, the race that he essentially owned the last five years, although a lot of the results were, were kind of nail-biters. Um, and he had two in there on on Saturday, as he always does, and they finished in the back of the pack and, and really didn't do much running, so... Um, so that streak is over, but these two good fillies from, uh, from Europe, uh, came over and, and did their thing in a couple of grade one races in New York, including the Diane on Saturday. Now they're back over there and, and we expect to see them, uh, back stateside eventually. Um, meanwhile, though, the, I, I thought wit really stood out more for me overall. If you were just going to pick like one individual, now, this guy broke his maiden at Belmont Park by six lengths and he came back in a grade three stakes at Saratoga in his second career start and won by eight lengths. And he's, you know, as far as the two-year-old male class goes right now, he's head and shoulders above everybody else based on those two results. And he'll come back in the hopeful on closing day of the meet. And, we, you know, we expect him to be a very short price in that race. Um, granted, the rest of the two-year-old division will have a chance to catch up a little bit over the next uh, – five six weeks whatever it is um but he he really stood out and he, he, it was kind of like one of those deals where based on his first race of his career down at belmont which i was there for because it was belmont stakes weekend um you were interested to see if he could back it up and boy did he ever and he i mean he just dominated that race so it'll be really cool to see him come back um and running the hopeful at the end of the meet yeah um Step away for Saratoga for a second here because Saturday the uh, running of the uh, Haskell Invitational took place uh, down in Monmouth, New Jersey, and a mandolin who seems to be involved in some interesting races uh, gets the win after uh, Hot Rod Charlie was DQ'd for for angling and clipping the heels of Midnight Bourbon down the stretch. Uh, mandolin could run in the Travers, which could set up a uh, showdown with uh, uh, Stablemate Essential Quality. Yeah, and, and it was a really scary, dangerous situation down there. And uh, credit um, Midnight Bourbon for regaining his feet after he he like almost went fully down. And Paco Lopez, his uh, jockey, um, you know, obviously got thrown to the ground. And good job by the horses that were trailing to kind of dodge him and not clip him. It really, the only um, injury he suffered was his knee uh, when his when. Um, when uh, Midnight Bourbon kind of clipped him in the leg. And uh, amazingly, Paco Lopez was back in the saddle the following day and won the first race on the card at Monmouth Park. If you ever, if you know, if you saw that race, you're like, well, that guy's going to at least be banged up and out of commission for a couple of days. But how tough these guys are, he was right back at it the next day. And Midnight Bourbon, from what I understand, had suffered, you know, just some little scrapes and bang up and, and should be fine. I don't know if we'll see him in the Travers he'll be able to recover from that incident in time for that. But Mandaloon now, um, the two choices for him are the Travers and the Pennsylvania Derby, which is in September. It's a couple weeks after the Travers and trainer Brad Cox is and and the owners are going to have to measure, 
you know, what happens in the gym dandy, his essential quality is going to be cranking up for that. Um, and they'll kind of gauge who else is showing up in the Travers. You know, they might be better off just waiting for the Pennsylvania Derby, especially if they want to keep their two good three-year-old colts separated in the races for the time being. But Mandaloon shows up in the Travers. Man, that's going to be a pretty fun race. You know, it's going to be interesting to see essential quality anyway, but um, you see both of them in there. Would be pretty cool. Mandaloon, of course, is is the sort of uh, in waiting here for the Kentucky Derby yeah. <laughs> result to be resolved finally. And who knows when that's going to happen? Nobody knows. I mean, there. Um, uh, of course, Medina Spirit got disqualified for the drug positive, but everything is still in a holding pattern. If he, if he, he, he didn't. He tested positive. He hasn't been disqualified from the Derby yet. Um, but if he eventually is, then Mandaloon will be elevated to the winner of the Derby, which would be a weird circumstance because, like, no matter when, it, if it happens, no matter when it happens, it's going to be a strange time for it to, you know, months after the race uh, to suddenly resolve the, the, the actual result of the Kentucky Derby. So Mandaloon's been in the middle of some weird stuff. Um, Hot Rod Charlie, meanwhile, is still chasing that first big win and, and looked like the best horse and did hit the wire ahead of Mandaloon, but rightfully, I believe, was taken down and, and put into last place because he kind of veered over. You know, I went on Twitter the next morning, and I'm sorry I did because the debate over who was at fault and who did what was like only about a thousand different angles that you could imagine, and everybody's just throwing everything out there. They're blaming, blaming Paco Lopez for not waiting like a nanosecond longer to try to cut outside and blaming him for his horse clipping heels with Hot Rod Charlie who was cutting in front of him. Uh, Mandaloon kind of came off the rail with one or two paths to kind of put the Malachi crunch on uh, um, Midnight Permit a little bit. So I, I, I had to like shut it down eventually <laughs> i'm getting nothing out of this i was kind of looking for some enlightenment and there you know some jockeys were chiming in like richard migliori and, and john velasquez and fans and some trainers and man every, there's like a different opinion all over the map finally i just said i gotta get out of here <laughs> it's like i got nothing out of that except that you know I, I, it reminds me not to get too a critical of jockeys, but B try to be analytical of like how a race was run because it, you know it still remains kind of a mystery. There's certain things that are obvious that you can tell, and I I, I think Hot Rod Charlie certainly was justified in being taken down for for his, you know that dangerous move that he made made that really um, could have been way worse than it was. Um, but I, I try to stay out of that fray a little bit and just be more of an observer. Sweater, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> this is a wormhole that I may not ever come out of. So that's the way it goes every time there's some sort of controversial thing in racing. Why do you think it's taken so long for this decision on uh, the Mandaloon and the Kentucky Derby? Because it seems like you know here it is. Yeah, late July, and we're still waiting to hear what's going on. Have you heard anything when they may make a decision? No, I mean, I, I have never seen anybody come out and definitively say, yeah, this is when this is going to be over. This is when it's going to be resolved. And this is what happens when you get courts involved and lawyers involved. And now Baffert's lawyers want the urine samples, you know, the two initial, you know, the, the sample A of the blood test turned up positive for this beta methicillone, whatever it's called. And then 
So then they had, there was several weeks passed and they had, because it took a while for them to get the B sample uh, tested and that came back positive and that's the, that just increased the whole furor around the whole thing and now Baffert's lawyers want the urine sample which is unusual you, you know people don't you know once once there's two blood tests positive that usually that's that and everybody you know kind of takes their medicine and their punishment and goes home but they're really doggedly fighting this tooth and nail and with that in mind I, like who knows I mean I don't know and I believe it's in the hands of the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission right now um but there's still a lot of legal, you know, jousting going on too, and um, so I, I, it's just—it's impossible to really have a good finger on when the whole thing's going to get resolved. Yeah. I asked Brad Cox about this last week too, and he said it's out of our control. We don't even think about it. We're just trying to get through today. If something happens, it happens. Great, but it's out of our hands. And he, he's the trainer of Mandaloon, of course, who would, you know. Uh, benefit from a um, disqualification of Medina Spirit, but right now it's just like, who knows? <laughs> when it happens, it happens. Yeah, and right, and right before the meet, the Saratoga started, Baffert suspension was overturned by uh, uh, court and down down in New York City, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, uh, I mean, what was the reaction? Of, did, did you get any re- uh, thoughts or reaction from people as the, the suspension being well, overturned? Well, I, I know Naira's response was that they felt vindicated in the first place because the language of what the judge said in the case um reiterated their right to like police their jurisdiction i guess something like that um so they kind of you know they're going to view it the way that's most favorable for them um meanwhile will baffert run here i don't know um he, he really doesn't run a lot of horses here period you know he'll, he'll bring in his big all-stars to come in on on saturdays to to win some of those great ones um so travers will be interesting i mean if everything is kind of where it is right now you know what if he sends medina spirit there um <laughs> that would be you know quite the circus uh so um so right now i, I mean technically he can he can run here but I, the opportunity you know we're still only four or five days into the meet the stuff that he usually runs in hasn't come up on the calendar yet, so we're kind of waiting to see if he, you know, pulls the trigger on any, um, you know, trying to bring something here and run it. Well, I got more questions for you, Mike. Let's take a quick break here on the Parting Shots podcast. More with Mike McGadam and Saratoga. Hey, Saratoga Horse Racing fans. Have a chance to win a $50 gift card by playing the Daily Gazette's Saratoga Pick 7. Here's what you do. Pick your horses to score the most points in the first seven races at Saratoga Racetrack and win the $50 gift card. To play, go to pick7.dailygazette.com and make your picks 15 minutes before post time the day of the race. The Saratoga Pick 7 contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not affiliated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is RPI men's hockey coach Dave Smith, and you are listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the Parting Shots podcast. I'm uh, associate sports editor Ken Schott, along with uh, Daily Gazette horse racing writer Mike McAdam. Uh, Mike, let's look at uh, trainer uh, Kenny McPeak. We were looking forward to seeing uh, Swiss Skydiver in, run in the Shuvie on Sunday and Crazy Beautiful in the uh, Coaching Club American Oaks on Saturday. 
but his barn's in a holding pattern because a horse stabled there with his horses has tested positive for uh, EHV1. Uh, what's the latest there? And uh, we'll you know, obviously I'll have another question about the CC Oaks for you. Sure. Um, well, it, it, they're in limbo, and they're really in a tough little pickle here because they have some good horses that are kicking the barn doors down, getting ready to run, especially this weekend with the two that you already mentioned. Swiss Skydiver, you know, she would have been really fun to see her come back and run here at, after she won the Alabama and then the Preakness last year and that weird, you know, shake up in the calendar because of the pandemic. Um, so it'd be cool to see her come back, but they're in the midst of a 21 day, um, quarantine, uh, set up where they're not allowed to race anywhere really. And they're not allowed to, like their horses are not allowed to mingle with the general horse population because of this very contagious equine herpes virus, one, which kind of, you know, it, it, you hear about it coming up all the time and you, people just have a sense of dread about this because it, because it is so contagious and you have to take such drastic measures to make sure it doesn't spread. Um, basically, it, it causes like a lot of respiratory um, symptoms and, and uh, illness. Um, but if it gets really bad, it can cause a lot of other um, problems like pregnant mares will abort and the you know, the foals are in jeopardy or it can cause like um, some neurological problems. So it's a serious thing because it's bad, but also because it's really contagious. So they have to clamp down. Uh, the horse in question who tested positive is not one of his horses. It was a two-year-old filly who hasn't raced yet. It doesn't even have a name yet. Um, trained by Jorge Abreu, who happened to have a couple stalls in, in Kenny McPeach's barn over there off of Fifth Avenue. But because... There, we're in such close proximity, they had to shut down McPeak's barn. And those poor people, like, they, they, they did everything right. They got here a month early to get their horses acclimated to Saratoga. They got a lot of good stuff that they wanted to roll out. Crazy Beautiful was, you know, I mean, she's, she would have been up against it against Malathot and the Coaching Club American Oaks, but she's a good horse, and, you, you know, you want to get in the race. That's what you're here for. Um, so right now... Um, I think, let's see, the 11th was when the horse in question showed symptoms and the test came back, I think, four days later, which would have been like the 15th. So starting at the 15th, we're looking at, like, he's, they they might not be able to run anything until after the first week of August, uh, which is a real shame for them. And it's bad for us this weekend because we don't get to see Swiss Skydiver, but that's how serious this thing is. And you just have to bite the bullet and shut it down and, and – uh, you know, so far the the filly that got sick was sent to a separate farm in Saratoga County, and she's doing fine. And all of Nick Peake's horses are asymptomatic, and so initially it looks like they nipped this thing in the bud. But in the meantime, you know, they have to quarantine, and uh, um, so that's it's kind of a sour note, especially for a barn that had some good stuff they wanted to trot out, and um, you know, really did everything right, and were prepared preparing for this meet in a big way and now they're they can't do anything they have special training hours set up for them so they can at least continue to work their horses like 11 a.m to 12 30 every day on the oklahoma like an hour after the oklahoma shuts down for the for the general population training um but it's like that's pretty meager pickings when you you know you're geared up and you want to go and and just kind of keep your regular routine yeah, um, but the CC Oaks, we're going to get a chance to see undefeated Malahat in, in that race. 
Yeah, Malafat, um, five for five. She's coming off of a victory in the Kentucky Oaks, grade one on, on uh, Kentucky Derby weekend. A uh, um, couple others that we're expecting in there. Clarier was a kind of a player in this division early in the season. She's expected to run. She was fourth in the Kentucky Oaks, only three lengths back. Uh, Malafat, they thought so highly of her that they were like an inch away from running her against males in the Belmont Stakes. A move that top, the trainer Todd Fletcher pulled with uh, Rags to Riches against Crowen back in 07, I think it was. Um, and they almost ran her in the, in the Belmont, and the only reason they didn't was because um, race spacing-wise, it was a little quick back from the Oaks, and Fletcher was just enough worried about it being, even if she won it, a taxing enough effort that it would have compromised the rest of her summer and, and even into the fall and he didn't want to take that risk but otherwise they, they were like we can win this race with this pill against the males so in the meantime so they skipped it and they probably you know made the wise move there and then she's gonna who knows what her odds are gonna be in the coaching club american oaks but she's gonna be a legit very low price in that race um to our uh, chad brown um had a couple that, that were nominated to the race, always Karina and search results, but he's going to skip it. He's actually going to pull back uh, distance-wise on search results, who's one of the top three-year-old fillies in the country, and run her in the test later, which is seven furlongs. Uh, Coach Club American Oaks, of course, is a mile and an eighth. Um, so it'll be kind of like a shortish field, maybe six or so, and Malthout will be a very low price in it. She'll be one that we've kind of been looking forward to seeing her run, even if she romps, you know, so um, can keep her uh, her nice undefeated record uh, clean. Yeah. I'm not an expert on horse racing, but, I mean, obviously, I, you know, in, in editing stories and putting uh, the entries and the results in the, in the paper. Right. One thing I noticed with the uh, the purses this year, when, you, normally when you get – up to six figures, like 100,000, 200,000. You don't see some odd numbers, but I, for some reason, and I, and I talked to you about this before uh, we went on the air, or, or at least talked early in the week. Right. 103,000. Where is this coming from? It seems like an odd purse figure. Well, it, I mean, what happens is, you know, the purse um, account kind of fluctuates depending on handle and things like that and that you know which is linked to takeout which is the you know kind of the rate that the track takes out for operating a brick and mortar um uh facility so the percentage of all the wagers that are paid out goes straight back to the track and that fluctuates occasionally and what they if they if it's kind of on the high side they'll put it they'll they'll put some of it back into the purses so you're kind of you'll see some weird little fluctuations in the numbers um so when you see 103 it's not because they had three thousand dollars extra and they said let's put it in this race it's because they had like a hundred couple hundred thousand extra and let's spread it out like three here and three there and and so they announced before the meet started that they were going to be able to bump up the purses um uh, at like the lower levels and stuff uh, I think the stakes race has pretty much stayed at the same level but kind of helps the whole horse population and the horsemen to, to throw a bone to some of the lower level races too and bump up those purses too so those guys can make a living and it isn't all just about the big high profile stakes races so they spread it around so you'll see some weird numbers like that um, as the theory goes 
as the purses are bigger, the fields get bigger, which means, and whenever there's bigger fields, you get more betting handle. So Naira, I'm sure, is counting on that development to happen. Um, and I don't want to get too complicated or deep divey on that whole um, theory, but uh, generally they believe that you know, if the purses are bigger, then the fields will be bigger, and then people will bet more. It's not just all four or five horse races, which are really not very attractive betting prospects. Um, so we'll see if that happens. Um, based on you know, when we get to the end of the meet, we see what the average field size, and then, you know, based on the first four days of the meet, their handle situation <clears throat> situation should be really good. If that continues, and they don't get slammed with too much bad weather during the meet. Um, but yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, I mean, those purses at the lower levels fluctuate a little bit here and there, depending on what you know what they have available in their purse account. So it looks weird, but it's not. It's not that unusual. Yeah. Well, Mike, appreciate it as usual, and of course, you can follow Mike's coverage in the Daily Gazette and on Twitter at Mike underscore Magadam. Mike, uh, we'll do it again next week. Awesome. I'll be here. Hopefully it won't be raining. Actually, the rain stopped here now, so it's all peaceful. That's um, good. Well, it's starting to cloud up here a little bit outside the Party Shots podcast studio, but uh, hopefully uh, no I more. I sent it your way. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I'm appreciate it. storm clouds We haven't have enough rain already. <laughs> Thanks again, Mike. All right. Thank you, Ken. All right. That's Mike McGadden. Up next, I have not done a Party Shots commentary in a long time. That streak ends next here on the Parting Shots Podcast. Sign up for the Daily Gazette Sports Newsletter. The newsletter, which comes out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots Podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi, I'm Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. And you're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. Well, it's been a long time since I've had a Parting Shot commentary. And with the upswing in coronavirus cases due to the Delta variant, I have some thoughts about that with regards to professional athletes. In the last couple of weeks, we have seen several Major League Baseball teams affected by the coronavirus. The New York Yankees lost a few players including slugger Aaron Judge, for a few games because they had the virus. My Philadelphia Phillies had four players miss time because third baseman Alec Bohm tested positive for the virus. It was reported that all four players were not vaccinated. And on Tuesday, two more Phillies were put on the COVID IL. One of those players, pitcher Aaron Nola, admitted he has not been vaccinated and called his decision a personal choice. Professional athletes make millions of dollars and spend countless hours working out to be in top condition and making sure they're eating properly. But when it comes to making the smart choice and getting a vaccine for a virus that has killed over 600,000 people in this country and has changed our way of life, professional athletes decide that it's a personal choice if they want to get a life-saving vaccine. In Tuesday's Philadelphia Inquirer, Columnist Marcus Hayes reported that nearly half of the Phillies have not received the vaccine. Some of the Phillies who did get the vaccine claim it led to injuries for them. In his column, Hayes wrote, It seems incredible that well-educated athletes who depend on real science to develop their bodies depend on antidotes, pseudoscience, 
and misinformation in deciding to put themselves and their peers at risk of a deadly disease that still ravages the globe and has killed more than 4 million people worldwide. Here's the problem. Pro teams can't force their players to get the vaccine. Maybe the players' unions should step in and convince their members to get the vaccine because if they don't, their livelihood will be affected. What will it take for these anti-vaxxer athletes to wise up? Maybe it'll take a teammate to contract the virus and die. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment and have the latest winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. The NASCAR season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by Second Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to dailygazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Mark Kestisher, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and proud member of the 518 from Gilderland High School. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Now, here's Ken. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 21 winner in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is Edward Balms of Schenectady. Edward wins a $50 grocery gift card. Congratulations, Edward. The VIP winner was Jerry Peel of Frank and Sons. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you would like to play the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click on the link for contests and promotions. The NASCAR season is taking a two-week break because its television partner, NBC, is busy covering the Tokyo Olympics. Keep checking out dailygazette.com in the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you haven't gotten vaccinated yet, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank Mike McAdam for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.